Let us turn now to 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, where we find our scripture lesson for today. 1 Kings 17, and let us read verses 1 through 16. Beginning to read at verse 1, 1 Kings 17. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from him, from here, and turn eastward, and hide by the book Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that ye shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the book Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and, and meat in the morning, and, and bread and meat in the evenings. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please, bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple sticks, that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make the small cake from but make a small cake from it first and bring it to me. Afterwards, afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her son, uh, she and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. May the Lord bless this word to our understanding. The title of the message today, accordingly as we anticipate the Lord's Supper, is the Lord provides Jehovah Jireh, which in Hebrew means the Lord provides. Uh, Jehovah is the Hebrew name for, or one of the Hebrew names for the God, the Lord, Jehovah, and uh, uh, Jireh is a shortened form of uh, Jehovah, the, the first part, and then but then the, la- the last part means that he will provide. So God provides, or God will provide. 
And that's the story of this passage, and that's the story of the table. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide for us through his holy ordinances, through baptism and through the Lord's Supper. The Lord will provide. For through these foolish uh, sacraments that he's given us, they're foolish only in the earthly sense. How can, what, what can water really do for us? What can a little bread and a little wine really do for us? Well, in the Lord's hands, they become a great and a powerful feast that is able to sustain us. And so we come today. We come as hungry people, as parishioners who need the grace and the power of the living God. Uh, <clears throat> we see twice here in this text a meal that God provides for Elijah. We'll, we'll look at both of those meals. But when we think of the idea of a meal... We think of resources, don't we? We think of food. We think of things that even smell and taste good. But they also nourish us. We know that if we shall eat these things, they shall bless us with strength by their substance. And so uh, so it is that this meal that is set before us is analogous to that. And it, it uh, God wants us to think of food, and he wants us to think of how uh, that, that blesses us. Uh, in this case, we think of the larger where where we find Elijah in this case. Remember, Elijah was a prophet in the north. Elijah was a prophet during the days of Ahab and Jezebel, two of the most wicked rulers in Israel's history. Uh, to say, to use the name Ahab and Jezebel is to uh, uh, reprise the idea of wickedness in the civil rule. They are uh, a paragon, not of virtue, but of vice and of, of decline and of corruption. Ahab and Jezebel. So Elijah prophesied in the north. So we see that the nation at this time was already rent asunder, that they were not able to keep the the possession that God had given them, this unified land. They had invented their own priorities, their own hierarchy of values, and in the midst of that enterprise, they had divided north from south. And Elijah was a prophet of God who was sent to prophesy in the northern, to the northern ten tribes. It was proverbial in Israel that the ten tribes were more decadent, more decayed than the south. So Elijah had his work cut out for him. Not only that, but he was called to prophesy during this time when it was imminently dangerous to speak on behalf of the Lord. Imminently dangerous. And yet Elijah prophesied, and because he prophesied God's word, uh, he not only was he protected, but God's word accomplished its purposes. It was spoken by this weak man who represented no great failings of humanistic strength or cultural uh, significance. One man, but as he prophesied, he prophesied God's word. And so that word held significance and truth. And the word of God prospered. We'll see in this text in any number of ways that prospered. <clears throat> um, and uh, I think in our day, I think it's helpful 
Uh, not only do we have the Lord's Supper here, and so this speaks to us in the Lord's Supper, but it speaks to us in terms of our setting, our political setting today, and how chaotic it is. And it's, it's this way around the world. Um, and as we think of Elijah being provided for, and by the word of God providing here, I think of Scotland today, that just this past week, I doubt that any of you heard of it, but there was a rather monumental judgment that was made by one of the justices in the Scottish court, and they're separate from Great Britain. The Scots have their own court, meets in Edinburgh, and one of the justices in that court ruled that well, the, the prime minister of Scotland is a woman named Nicola Sturgeon. Think of the, 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 the fish, uh, and if you want to think of a, a fish that has been left out in the sun and stinks to some degree, you've got Miss Sturgeon. Um, she has certain humanistic gifts and embellishments, but she is as humanistic as you can get. And she's been pushing the church around in Scotland and uh, commanding it to do this and that, as if she was a pope here. It's pope upon the earth. And uh, we've been studying that in Sunday school uh, with our church history lessons. But uh, it was it came out of nowhere, almost like this text today. The, the church is virtually prostrate, uh, prostrate up there in, Spur, in, uh, in Scotland. Uh, it's, it's very weak, very weak indeed. And here out of nowhere comes this justice who rules that the state does not have power over the church. It sounded like the Magna Carta in the days of old wicked King John. And uh, it reminds us here of how God does provide, how God can provide. And oftentimes he brings his resources and his strength from places that are not evident to us. They're invisible. They, they do not exist. And yet God raises up a justice here or a man there. And uh, almost irrationally in terms of the, the rationality of the times and the culture and the way that it's moving, God will protect the church for another day. It's just unbelievable. But we see that kind of thing in this text today with God providing for Israel, for his people, for his elect, his hidden little ones. These people that in their ignorance and in their humility, their humiliation, they cling to God's word against the culture and against the flow of the culture. Who would be so foolish to do that? Why not just go with the tide? Ride the current wherever it would take you. Save yourself. But there were 7,000 during this time whom Elisha later told um, his servant that had not bowed the knee to Baal. Elisha following Elijah by a short time. Uh, and so Elijah came as a minister and as a preacher to these people, these hidden people that were being pushed this way and that way. He comes and he brings a, a, a curse, a word of cursing to Ahab. We see that in the first couple of verses. Elijah the Tishbite, a small town guy in northern Israel uh, of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be no, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. So Elijah made an appearance at the court and he brings down the curses of heaven upon this king. He says that from this day forth there will be neither rain nor dew, even dew upon the land, that the land will go through a drought. Now they 
might have scoffed at him that day, but then the next morning, lo and behold, well, guess what happened? There were no dew, <laughs> and the drought had begun. Yet we wonder when it dawned on Ahab that the word of God had come to place and relevance upon him in his kingdom. We don't, we don't know. It doesn't fill us in on Ahab's thoughts, but it just fills us in on what, what the prophecy of Elijah and then the aftermath of that. And so Elijah makes this prophecy, and it's, 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 it's interesting here and relevant to us that there is a place in our preaching for both blessings and cursings. That's what we have with Elijah here. There are those today who say that the cursings of God, especially uttered by the mouths of such human beings as uh, the, it's his preachers, and in this day his prophets, that it's just not nice. And they, they, they invent a, an ethic which is nicer than the word of God. And they, they want to say that this ethic, they read that back into the word of God. And they, they want to say that this new ethic is, uh, is really what binds us as Christians so that we cannot speak firmly or strongly to one another. Well, if we're worried... Uh, about the church of Christ. And if we're worried about each other and our behavior, it's certainly relevant to come and to say to someone or to a presbytery or to a session or to a minister or to an elder or to anyone in the church, it's certainly acceptable to challenge them with God's word and say, how can you expect blessing if you deviate from God's word at this point? And if they persist, there comes a day where we can shake the dust off our feet too, and uh, and and utter curses upon uh, upon various entities and authorities in this world. We bear the authority, we bear the responsibility for that if we are wrong. But if we have founded that sensibility upon the Word of God, uh, I feel fairly safe in that in that, and uh, uh, in a sense, damn the hypersensitivities of the even the people of God in this day. And when we talk about, <clears throat> if you hear me use the term woke theology, we heard that word woke today a lot, uh, and uh, the, the culture, the cancel culture, they, they want if you're not woke, if you don't show these, these sensitivities, uh, then you are, then that you're worthy of being canceled. But this is a, this is a secular word for being cursed. So they believe in cursing too, but they just have a different set of values for it. And we need to be careful in the Church of Christ that we are awoken to the Lord's word and not the the word or the ideas of men. And that's the problem today. Even in the Reformed churches where people are, are uh, replacing the doctrine of original sin with the, with the doctrine of racism. That, that racism is the source of all sin, all error, all, uh, all uh, misjudgment. And that's not it. Racism, racism comes about because of original sin, not original sin because of racism. And, uh, but but there are, there's a new wind blowing through even the Reformed churches where uh, these ideas are, are very popular. So Elijah brings this word to Ahab's court. And then in verse 2 it says the Lord the, the word of God came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the, bro the brook 
Cherith. So this oh, this this show this opens up the first uh, uh, blessing by God, and I'll call this an extraordinary providence. What we see here in the first case is an extraordinary providence, in the second case is a miracle. And it's good to have these this biblical vocabulary in our minds, be able to separate the one from the other. Both of them are amazing blessings from God. We'll see here both of these. Many people might be tempted to call the first a miracle. It's it's miracle-like in that in that uh, Elijah is kept alive by the ravens, and normally the ravens don't bring us food, do they? In morning and evening, normally we have to go and work for that, and then go to Kroger's, but. In this case, the ravens are doing this. That's an extraordinary providence. But it's not like the ravens are just manifesting these things out of thin air. They're bringing them from afar. They're, the Lord has provided for them, and then they, they provide for uh, uh, for Elijah in this case. But uh, this is a, what we call an extraordinary providence. In other words, it's, it works by God's providences. It's not like Jesus healing somebody immediately in front of our faces. Uh, but it is amazing, and, and it's providential. It works through the uh, through the causes and the effects of nature and the the, the world we live in, and yet it is uh, it is extraordinary. It's not normal. So the first thing here is that um, well, the first thing is in verse two is that the Lord comes to to Elijah again and says, "Get out of here," because as this drought began to take hold. Uh, God knew that Elijah, or that Ahab, who was a nasty character anyway, he knew that he would come after Elijah and he would seek his life. He did that afterwards, after a fashion, after, and we see that even in this text later on in this chapter. But so God warns a, 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 uh, Elijah and he warns him to go, to go to the east, to go into more the more rural parts of the east by a stream that flows into the Jordan. And so uh, that's what Elijah does. Uh, and uh, here we see God, and God tells Elijah what he's going to do. He says, uh, turn east and uh, by the book, brook Chirith, and, and, uh, and, and you will, that you will drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. I saw a special a scientific program on ravens and crows a couple of years ago, and I was just amazed at the brains that these birds have. They 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 showed a, a man uh, uh, would go underneath a certain wire and uh, throw something up like a baseball or something at the at the crows and the ravens that were on the wire, and of course they they'd fly off because they this. But the amazing thing was that they. They recognized the man, uh, the, these birds. And so weeks later, if, if this man would come and walk under the wire, the birds would all fly away because they remembered that he had thrown something at them weeks before. Um, ravens are very, very intelligent birds, and um, it's just amazing the memories that they have in there. Uh, so anyway, God uses some very intelligent birds, and who knows where they got this food, but... But morning and evening, every morning and every evening, these birds would start, they would bring in their little bills, they would bring morsels of, uh, of, of meat and uh, for Elijah to eat, and, uh, and then morsels of bread, or some, something like that, that, that he could eat. And, uh, and, and God did this, and he drank at the brook, brook Cherith, 
and um, and uh, he was fed. And you notice verse three says, "So he went, <clears throat> so he went and did what according to the word of the Lord." God wants us to be so responsive to His word. He wants us to esteem his word. He wants us not to ask for special pleading or special argumentation to know that his word is true. He wants us to accept his word on, on face value because it's not just, it didn't just come out of nowhere. It came out of this long tradition which has gone way back to Adam and Eve, Noah, people like that, this word of God. It had, it's, its proof is its own pedigree. And so God expects us to follow that. And so in verse 3, uh, Elijah went and he did what? According to the word of the Lord. He went and stayed by the brook. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So God uses this special providence. for I don't, We don't know how many weeks or months, but God uses this special providence, this extraordinary providence to feed his prophet. The, the drought is tightening up on Israel, these northern ten tribes, and God has brought a drought upon the land, but he provides for his people. Now we see analogies to this meal before us here. God did not promise his people that they would all be rich or that they would have an easy life, but he does promise to provide for them. And we come to the table today to celebrate that, to see that this represents the provision of the Lord. In the same way that the ravens brought food to Elijah, so God would feed us his people. We say, oh God, I want strawberry shortcake, and you brought me an upside down peach pie or something. Well, that's up to the Lord, you know, the Lord, but the Lord supplies it. The, his, the people's needs. And it's not, up, it's not up to us to complain that we got uh, that we got honey or maple syrup instead of sugar or, you know, whatever else it might be. The Lord provides for us. He knows what we need. And as he provides here in the supper, uh, each of us, if we were to put our secret laundry list out of things that we thought we needed for spiritual growth or for physical sustenance, it would differ, it would vary widely between family to family. But God knows all. And he works with us. Mysteriously, magically, like he did with the ravens. He brings us his food. He calls us, he says, be obedient. You know, believe in my word, come to my supper, follow what I've said, but if you do, I will provide for you. I will provide for my people. And so, Um, we have this first amazing deliverance of Elijah through this um, extraordinary providence. Well, then he, then the text uh, travels or develops into an obvious miracle, an in-your-face miracle. The, the brook dries up, you know, brooks come from rain, the, it stopped raining. He, he brought Elijah to a place where this brook was providentially um, sourced in a way that it, it kept up when others had stopped. But now the brook itself uh, dries up. What will be our lot? 
When we see one resource of God disappear, will it not mean that God raises up another resource? Maybe one relative dies, but another rises up. Maybe one friend disappears or moves. Will not another friend appear? God takes care of us, his people. And so here it is that the brook dries up, but the word of God does not. The word of God in verse 8 says that the word of God came to Elijah again saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Now right away you see Sidon, you know that Sidon was a pagan city. Tyre and Sidon were Philistine cities. So God takes Elijah out of northern Israel to a neighboring uh, frontier area of Philistia that he might take care of him there. Later on in the chapter, we read where uh, Ahab had his secret agents out all over Israel trying to find out where Elijah was. And he could not find him because of these places that God would sequester him. Uh, these secret places. So first he puts him in this remote area, the brook Cherith. Then he takes him from there by the drying up of the water. He takes him out of the northern ten tribes altogether to uh, to, to Sidon. And there, uh, unbeknownst to <clears throat> anyone in northern Israel, he saves Elijah's life by a foreigner, uh, by a Sidonite, by one of the people of that region, by a Philistine, who had, seems to have some piety because she addresses him as, the, as a man of God. God has his resources. They are so amazing. They cannot, we cannot, we can, they are past finding out how God does this and that. God brings a Moabite, as Ruth, into Israel at a certain time when she is needed there, her and her mother-in-law, Hannah. God does these things. God works his works of grace, and they aren't always according to our prescriptions. We say, well, God, you can't work with these Philistines. They're pagans. What has Israel to do with Philistia? They're both the creations of God. They are his clay. He can do with them whatsoever he wants because God is sovereign. God is powerful. And God does whatsoever he wills. The same God who raised up the Lord Jesus Christ is the God who created these sacraments before us. He is sovereign. He is God. He is divine. He tells us what he would do. And so God speaks to uh, Elijah again and he says arise go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon and dwell there see I have commanded a widow there he commanded this widow we know not how we doubt audibly but maybe audibly who knows he, he commanded a widow sometimes it's by his secret providence sometimes it's by his word he commanded a widow there to provide for you the widow doesn't seem to know too much about it when Elijah shows up, so it sounds like it's just a secret providence here. So he arose and he went to Zarephath, and it's so it's so intriguing. He comes to the widow, and uh, she's gathering sticks. He calls her and he says, please bring me a little water and a cup. Now this was probably from a community well. So she does that, <clears throat> that he might drink. But Elijah presses, he presses on. He says, and by the way, <laughs> finds her willing to bring the water. He says, by the way, can you bring me a little cake, uh, a little bread? And at that point, we see the pathos of the pathetic situation of the widow. She says, as the Lord your God lives, I... 
do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar, and see, I am gathering these sticks, that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. The famine had gotten so bad that this woman was on her last meal as a Philistine. And she tells that to Elijah, that she only has enough for her son and her, and it's not going to be enough to save their lives. And so she was going to make a little cake, but it was going to be a funereal meal and not one of deep nutrition. But Elijah says to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. We give the first fruits of our life to the Lord, and then watch what he does with us. And bring it to me. Afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God. Now this is the same speech as God brought Elijah to utter before Ahab. There will be a drought from this day and it will last some years. But now he speaks to the widow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and he and her household, and for many days the bin of flour was not used up, nor the jar of oil did not run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Brothers and sisters, we may be hard of hearing, we may be dull of soul, but do we not hear what God is saying here about his word, about that which he says. And we we have a whole book of it here in these scriptures. We have a whole book of it here upon which to depend. God's word is majestic. There are some today who want to make the sacraments equal with the word of God so that they must, whenever you preach the word, you must have have the sacraments. Brothers and sisters, do you not see the superiority of the word of God over these other things of Christ? And yet, uh, I find myself having to fight life and limb to hold out against a a new liturgicalism, a new sacramentalism that is growing in the church of Christ, where people take a good thing and they say, well, if this is good, then why not do it every day, you know? And, uh, uh, that's a that's a sermon for another day. But um, here we see that the, here we see a flat out miracle because there's just a pittance of oil and a pittance of flour left. But as Elijah commands the woman, she begins to make bread, and lo and behold, from that day forth until it rains, the widow uh, was taken care of, and incidentally, then so was the prophet of God. Brothers and sisters, so shall we be. These elements before us are paltry. They are small. They are insignificant. Do they not compare with what the widow had? Just a little flour, just a little bread, a little juice. They're minuscule. They're insignificant. The world would overlook them. They they, they look at us and they say, you call this a feast? But as long as we 
break this bread and drink this wine. Uh, the Lord's blessing, his covenant blessing will be upon us. And where the church follows Christ's rules and uh, honors his word, she shall be fed and grow strong in the day of the Lord. So uh, by to apply this now, you know, we should uh, abide. I think that the, the least we should see here is we need to abide in Christ's word and hold on to his promises and see hope in the foolish things that he has given to us, just as Elijah held on to the things that he was given and put hope in them. Uh, we need to focus on the word of God and not the symbols of the word, as I've just exhorted you. Focus on the word of God and not the symbols of the word. The symbols of the word are lovely. There are times and seasons to have our Passover, to have our Feast of Weeks, to have our Feast of Tabernacles at the end of the year. There are times that are appointed unto those things. But all of those things are appointed by the word of God, and the word of God should not be sublimated or put on a par with these other things, because the word of God can survive just fine without its symbols. But the symbols cannot survive without the word. And that's one of the principles of the Lord's Supper and Presbyterianism, that we cannot hold this ceremony unless the word be preached. The, the sacrament is conditioned upon the word. It's dependent upon the word. And that's a very old principle. You may not understand it. You may not think it's significant. But it's very significant in terms of religiosity and religious tradition. But the word of God establishes the sacrament, not vice versa. Uh, Roman Catholics like to say that the church established the word. That without the church, without the Council of Jamnia, that there would be no organized word of God. We Protestants say just the opposite. The word of God organized the church. And without the word of God, there would be no council of Jamnia or anything else. The word of God is the powerhouse of our lives. We live by sola scriptura, as Martin Luther taught. We live by the word of God alone. When he was challenged by the German, uh, by the German um, um, leaders to, uh, and the church, to repent, he said, here I stand. I can do no other. He said, show me the word of God and I will, I will change. I will repent. But if you cannot show me the word of God, I cannot stand in another place. I cannot stand in another doctrine. Because I hear the Lord speaking to me in his word. Brothers and sisters, do you hear God speaking to you? Do you hear God speaking to you? We are we are charismatics after a sort in the sense that we take this word and we say, yes, God, I hear you. God says in the, in the Gospels, my people, my sheep, hear my voice. And they follow me. That's a mysterious, mystical thing. But I pray that everyone in this congregation is of that ilk, that you can hear the word of God, you can hear the God speaking in this word. He says to you, uh, Beloved, thou art my beloved sons and daughters in whom I am well pleased. You hear his word of justification. You hear that he's happy with you, not because of your flesh, but why? Because of Christ. Because Christ has showed up as your friend, as your Savior, as your Lord. 
So you hear his word of justification to you. And we hear his word in terms of the uh, the institution of the church where he, he calls us to to uh, come to this place. Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, he calls us to come to this place where the, the, the elders of the Lord uh, in plural are gathered together. And he says, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. It's a very precious and privileged place that we have in the church of Christ. That we are so close, that earth is so close to heaven in the determinations of the church of Christ. But all of that operates on the basis of the word. Because Christ has authorized it, so we believe it, and so we use it. And so we come to the table today. Christ has told us to come. Christ has told us to eat and drink uh, righteousness unto ourselves. And so we do it. Let us be blessed by this ancient prophet, like the woman, uh, like the woman here of Sidon. Let us be blessed for our souls are sensitive to the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that thou wouldst bless us in this time, that we, though we are foolish creatures, though we are not doctors who know a perfect, the perfect prescription for our bodies and our souls, that yet we follow thee and you do provide for us and you do know and you do provide and uh, the bread that you give us and the oil that you use, the the, the wine that is pressed out, uh, the grape juice, that, that the fruit of the vine, we pray, O oh Lord, that that would soothe the hunger of our hearts and souls and that it would make us healthier and stronger. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would Surprise us with uh, thy joy and thy grace, that we might see things in us that we did not see heretofore. And we, we ask thee, O oh Lord, where did you give these things? Where did we find these things? He might very well say to us then, that day that you took communion in your church, I, gave, I sourced out your blessing to you in a way that you did not see, but I provided it, for I am Jehovah, and I provide and I, I, you can call me Jehovah Jireh properly because I do provide for my people. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.